Welcome back from the desk of Lope. I have with me one of the forefathers to hip-hop, so it's always a treat when legends appear on the show. Um, I would like to proudly introduce Mr. O.C. of Digging in the Crates is on the phone. What's going on? How are you? Wow, doing? forefathers, huh? Yes, sir. I, I don't know about that one. <laughs> well, well, to, well, I'm born in 91, so to me, you are, sir. Right, right. That's what's up. Now, nah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you, sir. Um, I actually wanted to um, start off the interview because I've seen one of your posts recently, and um, someone you know told me something that forever put me on a mission. Um, Tech from Smith, Smith & Wesson told me, be the bridge to the generation gap. And when you said that you got to be on top of your game all the time, I'm wondering, how did your album Opium come about? Because you haven't lost a step since the 90s, sir. Thank you, man. Um, it actually came about organically. I mean, I was I was doing some feature feature work at PF Cutting's crib. You know, he has a home studio, and um, I was doing feature uh, work over there. You know, paying him to do feet. You know, lay down feature work, and a lot of that music was stuff Sean P turned down. Rest in peace, Sean P. Yeah, that was that was like you know uh, some of that stuff was Sean stuff. Sean P, you know, helped the skeleton up, turned turned down for his album. You know what I'm saying? Prior to him passing away, so you know um, it, it was just something that was just super organic, super super not even thinking about it until this this dude. You know, um, brought it up to me, brought it to my attention. PF, that is, and you know, we just started working on a record. Yeah, because um, my favorite song on that album is '88, and I was like, "That shit, Bane's in the car." I gotta let you know that. Thank you, appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, that's my 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 um my era in the sense of you know listening to what I was listening to coming up. So, you know, that's where I really got the well I didn't get the spark I had the spark prior to that but you know it was it was something I was listening to heavy Big Daddy Kane was fresh um at that time G-Rap Slick Red you know all the all the monumental people basically changed the game so, so um it's kind of funny how you brought that up too because um I always do my research and you said like the 80s was your favorite time in hip hop and I'm wondering um can you share why the 80s was your favorite time sir cuz I wasn't even on this earth yet Yeah well that's 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 what I was about to allude to like you know I was a youngin back then so that's the era you know that era is when I started um really studying music you know what I'm saying? I mean, I was listening to music before that, but I was a lot more younger. But between 86, between 85 and 88 is where I really started, you know, um, really paying attention and, and distinguishing the guys, which they all sound distinguished anyway, you know what I'm saying, from each other. But that's that was really like a vital point. You know, you had Public Enemy. You had Run DMC, of course, before Public Enemy. And um, you know, just a lot of, a lot of even, even a lot of, a lot of people who didn't, you know, uh, make it onto people's radar, you know, around, you know, like running them and, and public enemy and them did. You know, you had the Vine sounds, you know, 
different groups that were just dope, but just didn't go further than what they should have. So I was I was there for the inception of a lot of that. Yeah, because it's all about regional and how far to go with the regional. Right. So um, back then, too, when you were on the go all the time, um, did you guys have a lot of those Walkmans that you put the cassettes in, or was would you guys still using vinyl back then, sir? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you're talking about coming up in the 80s? Yes, sir. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was DJing. My pops bought me a DJ set probably 84. So I was, I was more to the... The DJ part of it, you know what I'm saying? As a, as a, you know, a preteen. So, you know, that was my first love, but I just didn't pursue it any further, you know, listening to the, to the, the MC, you know what I'm saying? When the MC started becoming more popular than the DJ because it was the other way around, you know what I'm saying? It was the DJ featuring MCs, if you notice. You know, a lot of the records that came out, even like somebody like DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, it wasn't Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff. It was Africa Bambada and the Soul Sonic Force. It wasn't the other way around. So the DJs were more up in the forefront. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five featuring Melly Mel. Like, yes, so I came up, you know, uh, peeping out the DJ first. I got first hand of that, you know, being in the park as a kid for park jams and stuff like that. So I've seen it early on. So when you say like um, when people used to spin in the park now, does that, do you think that still goes on nowadays? Just we just don't see it as much? Nah, it's not happening at all. You know, um, first of all, you that was some renegade type of uh, thing where people used to bring the equipment now. That wasn't even legal. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just, um, it was just something that, that, New York did, you know what I'm saying, with park jams, but it definitely wasn't legal, especially hooking up the power to the uh, to the, the uh, light posts and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. You know what I'm saying? They get power, so all of that was illegal. But the the, the um they would let it go on. You know what I'm saying? I guess they figured, long as they weren't, you know, uh, uh, doing anything gang related or whatever they considered, you know you know, mischievous or whatever the case may be, they let it happen, but it definitely wasn't legal. No, sir. Um, so, like, did you guys have, like, stages and everything out there, or was it just basically audio equipment back then? It, it depends on the crew. Like, you had crews who had uh, super uh, sound systems. I'm talking about 10, 20 speakers. Some people had, you know, depending on their popularity, in their neighborhood, some people did build stages for their sets, you know what I'm saying? But definitely, like, um, the speaker game was, was who had the most bass, who, who's, who's, who had the most um, clarity, whose frequencies was on point. Like, you know, some of these park jams you would go to back in the day, you would hear the uh, music from another, like, like another part of the city, you know what I'm saying, almost, and literally, you know what I'm saying, like, you can, I lived in Bushwick at the time, Brooklyn, and you can hear that, that sound system in Bed-Stuy, you know what I'm saying, oh, Bed-Stuy, which is on the other side, and vice versa, you know, you had Divine Sounds, who were Divine, you know, uh, Divine Sounds, they would bring out their sound system in, in Brooklyn, and you would hear that from Flatbush, you know what I'm saying, all the way in Bushwick, 
You know what I'm saying? It was crazy. Yeah, you'd definitely never see that again. Nah, never. Never. I mean, you, you go to Jamaica, they still do that. You know, they bring out the sound system in Jamaica. But that's where it originated from. And then in New York, though, that was like the prime. Like, because like... Um, I'm glad that, you know, we had video cameras and then because in the day of YouTube, I can actually go back and look up times like that. Mind you, I, won't, I wasn't able to see everything back then, but I got a good glimpse of it. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy a lot of, like a few people did film, you know what I'm saying? So you can see some of that stuff on, on YouTube, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's, it's dope, you know, whether people... Who, who weren't born around that time and, and a younger want to see it or not. You know, it's part of the history regardless. This is, this is the inception. Yes, it is. Because, like, this is the thing that bugs me out and it kind of makes me mad. Is like, a lot of people my age, they only listen to who's hot. They don't go back and do the research on who came before listening to, you know, right. what they're looking up to now. Well, I mean, my, my thing is with the younger generation... And, you know, we were, we were younger too, you know what I'm saying? And more or less, we had a, I believe we had a lot more, not just respect, but were more open and prevalent to listening to, um, you know, what the, what our four, what we consider our forefathers to be, you know what I'm saying? To what they were saying, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, fast forward when I got in the game and I would bump into a Melly Mel or Grandmaster Cass or Flash or Grand Wizard Bid or, you know, these is my heroes, you know what I'm saying? If they told me they listened to my music, that was a big deal. But I've heard, you know, tapes of them, you know, that circulated around the city, actually around the world, you know, tapes that they made in 78, 76. Wow. You know, all the way up to the 80s, the early 80s, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, all of that is a part of all of our history. But with the young people, you can't just, well, personally for me, I'm not going to wag my finger at y'all. It's something that y'all would have to want to look up on your own. If I put it in your ear and you listen and want to go research, it'd be cool. If not, it's still cool to me. But I was y'all age too, you know what I'm saying? We were y'all age, so... We didn't listen to everything either. We didn't pay attention and, and, you know, not so much disrespect, but we didn't, you know, when you're young, you just like whatever. You want to have fun. You want to party. You ain't trying to hear nobody, you know, uh, really preach in your ear. Yeah. But I always like, a, you know, like a good amount of, like, positive music in my life, too. What's that? I said, it's a good balance because I always like, you know, a good positive, uh, like positivity in the music too. Like a good story and, and like a, like the meaning of an MC. Right, right. Well, I mean, like I tell people, you know, or when I do interviews, which I rarely do, you know what I'm saying? But I do them more more now because, you know, it's necessary. Um, You have to basically... Just hone in. Like, I have to catch up on a lot of things with social media, you know what I'm saying? And this is younger cats in my, around my crew and my team that put me up on things, you know what I'm saying, that I don't know about. So we can all learn from each other. We're supposed to learn from each other, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's forever a learning process in my mind, you know what I'm saying? And um, 
you just have to be open to listening. You know what I mean? And, and like I said, I, I really don't wag my finger at the younger cats, man, whether I like their music or not, man. It, it should be a mutual respect there, always. Always, because like it's like what you said, it's a learning process from one another. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm never going to stop learning as long as I'm doing the music and, and just life in general, you know what I'm saying? I don't care how young or old you are. Like, it's it's no reason not to listen to a younger person and vice versa. A younger person listen to an older person. Like, that's part of life, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, none of us know everything. So the things we don't, no, or we're not up on or just life in general, you know what I'm saying? Somebody else can teach you whether they're young or old. It doesn't matter. Yeah, never too alert, never too old or too young to learn something. Exactly. Um, and one of the things, too, I always wanted to ask you, too, does anyone from my era inspire you, like a Kendrick or a Cole? Of course. I mean, I listen to, I listen to what I wanted, I choose to listen to, but, um, you know, they, they're a perfect example, like uh, Kendrick, J. Cole, um, you know, Flatbush Zombies, um, the list goes on, R.J. Payne, like, it's people that I listen to, it, to me, it's about substance from the gate, but, you know, I like ignorant stuff too, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. it, and it depends on what you know, what type of level of ignorance I want to hear. If I want to hear booty music and I choose to listen to that cold, if I want to hear, you know, uh, whatever the case may be, I'll listen to it. But, you know, my preference for the most part is listening to something with substance. And, you know, that doesn't matter if you're Zach or, or you're J. Cole or you're Kendrick, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's a lot of artists out here, obviously. But, you know, they're in the mainstream and they holding the choice. What can you say about that? Like, they, they're keeping it going. And, like, that's what, and they actually, like, what you said, substance, because, like, a lot of the music that's coming out nowadays, it's like, in my opinion, it's microwave. But there is artists out there still pulling of course, authentic music. Definitely. It, it, it is, man, but we're in the day and time of the computer and, and the internet and stuff like that. So, you know, my opinion, a lot of people shouldn't be rapping or making music or can't make music or make trash music, but, you know, who am I to say? You know what I'm saying? Like, I stick to what I do, and um, this is just the nature of the beast right now. Like, it's a million more, it's it's more rap, uh, uh, people who want to get into the music business than being supporters of fans. That's very true, because nobody really wants to support until they actually see something. Exactly, and, you know, everything is about trend-setting and digital numbers, and, you know, all of those things are ghost numbers to me. Like, you know, I, I watched an interview with Cube on Sway, and he was saying a lot of people need to get in the process or back in the habit of buying physical stuff instead of just buying MP3s and, you know, stuff like that. And it's the truth. You know what I'm saying? Like, you want to hold on to something or have something 20 years later, you got to physically buy it. And, and You know what I'm saying? Your computer can, cra uh, can crash. My computer can crash, you know what I'm saying? But right. if you have vinyl and stuff like that, you're good. Yeah, because that, that can never crash. 
Right. And it holds more value. Because, like... Physical stuff holds more value. And, like, that was actually one of my questions I was always going to ask you, too. Um, because I'm always big on physical releases, whether it's CDs, video games, or anything. Because, like, you never know when something can crash. I'm just wondering, too, do you have, like, a piece of of physical releases from all your projects that you ever put out, sir? Um, for, for the yourself? most part, I have everything that I've... I've uh, you know, far as project wise, but um, it's a couple of things I don't have. I didn't get super um, I wasn't I wasn't uh, what's the word um, basically keeping up on every piece of material that I recorded or, or produced. But for the most part, I have everything that I've ever done. You know what I'm saying? As far as like you know, making music and um, it's in the stash and you know. This is our thing, though. Digging in the crease, we, we've always did the vinyl thing. You know what I'm saying? Before it was real popular. You know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, we're one of the, the foundations of a flat beast, being who they are today, or surviving this long. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it was one single. It was day one that that uh, me flat beast would, you know, come. Uh, put them on the map and then you had atmosphere and then you had a lot of other cats who followed but that was always our main game was the vinyl the cds and like to um back then was it a lot different with like the shipping and ordering back then because there was no internet back then yeah it was definitely different and it wasn't so much um social media you know 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it wasn't that prevalent. So, you know, the, it, I think me being on social media 24 hours a day would take away the mystery of what people perceive of me. Like, if I was on there doing videos every day, you would probably be like, you know, it's a normality and you would click past me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I thrive on the mysterious of an artist, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to see Rakim posting a video every day. So, yeah, like, a lot of that matters, man. I mean, the vinyl sold more. You know, if the, if the project or the singles was dope, you know, you were prone to actually purchasing and, and looking, anticipating what was coming from that project. So, things of that nature, it, it definitely was different. Yeah, because and then like too, uh, we're vinyl too. Um, uh, cause I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm CDs and cassettes. We're vinyl. How much uh, dense could you act? How much songs could you actually put on a piece of vinyl before you have to switch it to side A to side B? Um, if I'm not mistaken, you put five, four, five on one side, five on the flip side, the B side. You know, you have an A and a B side, so you have five on one side, depending how long your songs are. And five on the other side, so you can put ten to twelve records, fourteen I think the most, if I'm not mistaken. Or you can do a double album. You know what I'm saying? This is where double albums came into play too. You know to put more uh, records on it. But you know a lot of artists and and the well a lot of record companies were against uh, putting double albums out so much because they weren't benefiting off of anything over a 10 song album you get paid for 10 records 
10 to 12 records, 10, you know what I'm saying? So anything after that, they don't get paid for. So they think it's a waste on their part to even put it on there. So like those back then, when somebody would lease like a double disc album, the vinyl would be like four big, big vinyls? Um, it would be two. It would be two. It would be, you know, it would be one in one side of the sleeve, one in the other side, but it would be, um, you know, one physical piece of vinyl. Yeah. Five on one on the A side, five on the B side, then you go into the next sleeve and it'd be five on one side, five on the other. So you had certain people making 20 records, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, just because that's what they was feeling, I guess. And, you know, it would be a double sleeve, but you didn't have too many people doing that. You know what I'm saying? And and especially if you wasn't a big artist, you know, like I said, the labels wouldn't let you slide with that. Yeah, because cause I heard like the labels had a lot of input back then. Yeah, and they, like I said, they weren't getting paid. You know, the artists on the publishing and the writing and the production, so... They weren't getting paid off of that. You know, they get a certain amount of cents off of each record, the record company that is. But if you got 20 records on there, you know, they only getting paid for 10 and you getting paid for the rest. Yeah. Because that's where then that's where a lot of the executives too were making money. See, like I, like, I like how in this day and age where the artists, you can buy from the artist directly now. Right. And that's what's dope about, you know, it's a gift and a curse with the, with the, uh, internet and things of that nature but I mean I wish we did have that back in the day you know what I'm saying if we did have this a lot of us you know a lot of artists would still be thriving you yeah. know what I'm saying because um, you know artists direct you can buy directly from the artists and I'm not mad at that man I, I'm, I'm proud of artists who take it into their own hands because that's how it should be definitely and I'm just wondering too um, because uh, I see this a lot, and it just makes me realize that you guys were the ones to do it first. Well, in my eyes, um, what was the first time you ever did a show overseas, and how was that feeling just crossing an ocean just to perform? I bet that was like a one of a kind feeling, sir. Um. Well, we actually weren't like you know, like I said, you people don't have uh, actual document of like uh, Cold Crush and Melly Mel and all of them they've been going overseas since the 80s you know what I'm saying but you know it comes to um, well they had video cameras back then but people weren't filming too much yeah. but when we came on the scene around early 90s and on you know some people would buy their own you know invest in their own camera and bring one of their homeboys or homegirls and let them film them you know, uh, somebody like Gangstar would do that. You know, Preem and Guru would do that. If you know, Preem has a lot of footage of quite quite a lot of footage of him and Guru. But um, my first time going overseas, Premier took me. Well, Premier DJ for me, and that was Japan. That was '94. I went um, to Japan with with Lords of the Underground and Bismarck and premier DJ for me and that that was my very first time early you know after the, the first album came out in 94 that was the first time I went overseas and you know I was I was cracked out after that like 
You know what I'm saying? And I was open. So after that, you know, it was an ongoing thing. I've been touring for 20 years since, 20 plus. And that's a blessing right there. It's definitely a blessing. So Japan was the first show you ever did overseas. Wow, that must have been, jeez. Yeah, yeah, I can't even remember, and that's bad, so excuse me, but the first show I did in Canada by myself, I don't remember the name of the spot, but this this spot was so rammed. It was so packed, like, like the people were like, it was a sardine. It was like we were sardines up in the spot because people were literally pushed up to the front of the stage. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, I know um, around that time, hip hop was, you know, it was thriving. You know what I'm saying? But for people to come out to see me and that, and that, in, in droves like that was, was so bananas. And we talking about Canada. But, you know, I was surprised, but I wasn't. Because at this point, hip-hop was super big. You know, or, you know, in this early stage, it's like, yeah. you know, everybody was touring. You know, from me to Redman and Naughty to everybody. Black Moon. But for people to particularly come out and see me in Canada was just bananas. I'll never forget that. It was just like the spot was jam-packed from wall to wall. And, you know, I just, it, it, it amped me up so much, it, it scared me. You know what I'm saying? Before I got on stage, because I couldn't believe it. Well, what can we say? Canada loves the bars out here. Nah, it's hip-hop to the fullest out there. Like, like I said, it was so amazing, man. Me and my DJ at the time, um... My man Ahmed, you know, he's part of DITC as well, a producer. He um, he was bugging like he was. I remember him asking me, "Yo, it's it's ran packed out there." And he asked me, "You ready?" And I was just like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yo, it's bananas out there." And I'm like, "Word." And I peeked out, and I was just like, "Holy!" And just oh, you can cut, say no way. Okay, well, I was like, oh, shit, like, just looking out to the crowd, like, I'm telling you, it was, it was ran-packed from back to front, side to side, to the curtain I was peeking out to, like, it was super packed, and the space was so, it was a big space, but it didn't seem that big, you know what I'm saying, yeah. with all the people in there. Um, what year was this? Huh? What, what year was this, sir? This had to be, uh, I'm gonna say, '97, '98. Oh, wow. This was probably after the second album. Yeah, Jewels for, and, for um, the people who don't yeah, know. Yeah, Jewels. So I had uh, Jewels. I had um, Word Life, and you know all the things in the middle that I've done. You know, the soundtracks was out. Um, Crooklyn Dodgers was out. All that stuff was fresh. So. And, and, you know, Canada knew it. You know what I'm saying? So it was just, it was unbelievable. So, um, so when you say uh, with word life, too, um, because this is one of the questions I actually wanted to ask you, and it's kind of funny how these questions keep bringing up to new ones I want to ask. Um, y your logo, it's one of my favorite logos in hip-hop, um, the one that you put on Jules. Um, and you and. It's still your logo on IG. I'm just wondering, how did that logo come about? Um, I came 
came up with the logo. You talking about the OC with the crown? Yes, sir. Um, I came up with the logo. Somebody enhanced it for me. De uh, definitely. So. I don't remember who did the artwork, but um, because it was so long ago. But it's you know they they. I just wanted the O and the C. You know what I'm saying? Like something simple, something people can just automatically know when they see it. You know, it pertains to me. And um, what people don't was well, for people who do have. The CD and the, and the vinyl for Jewels, it was different color logos. It was a red, it was a gold, it was a green, um, a yellow gold. Like, it was different logos on different CDs. And um, some of those I don't even have. I might have one or two with the gold and the green. You know what I'm saying? I never knew that. And, um, yeah, that, that logo stuck with me till today. It's, it's still with me. You I know, use it till today. You know, um, because I've been seeing that logo, you know, since I got into hip-hop. Um, you know, every time I see a crown, I just see the OC under it. Right. It's just like, that That logo is legendary. I just, I can't, I just, I always wanted to backstory on how that logo came up. So I really appreciate you sharing that with me, sir. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the first logo was... um from the first album was the 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 uh, hand signs yes. which was the O and the C you know my my old one of my oldest brother is, is deaf he's a mute so that's where the idea came from and I had a uh, I still have a game of stickers of the the black and white logo with the O and the C and the time's up at the bottom but that was the unofficial one but when I did the second album yeah that's when the OC and the crowd came into play and I I used it for uh I, I use I, I also used it for the background of a backdrop, you know, to to, to uh put up on at, at my shows. And I think I I lost the the background in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. I had a, a um a backdrop made and I, I to this day I don't know where I left it. Man, if somebody found that, Joe, you better return that to OC. Yeah, yeah. But it's so big, it's like, it's a wall size, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Jeez. So, I don't know who the hell has it. More power to him. Probably in somebody's basement right now with all the DIC vinyls up to it. Something. Um, so, um, you, you know this artist when I ask you, um, because you appeared on his first album in 91. Uh, well, sorry, his first group album in 91. Um, I'm just wondering, where were you where Eternal Affairs dropped? Because that's one of my most favorite albums ever. Where was what? Internal Affairs. Where, like, where were you where where Internal Affairs dropped? Um. Then talking about Pharaoh's album. Yes, um, sir. That album dropped in what ninety nine, ninety six. Uh, 99, uh, 99. 99. I was, I was working on, let me see. I think I was touring the third album or, or, yeah, I think I was touring the third album actually, but, um, me and Marsh used to bump into each other on the road. Like I, I remember doing shows with him for that album. Eternal affairs overseas and in Europe and stuff like that. So I was around, but 
I mean, he had a great year when that album dropped. Like, that was bananas. You know, I'm still trying to find a physical release to that album to this day. For Eternal Affairs? Yeah, because, like, that's a hard album to find. Like, I'll be looking everywhere for that. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, that was a raucous release, too. So, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you probably... Well, you said you've been looking for it, so I'm sure you searched all the usual suspect um, um, sites. I just don't want to be paying, like, $200 for this CD. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. Like, I know some of these sites probably have it, but it's probably out of print, so it's a rarity, and they're definitely going to try to hit you, bang you in the head for it. But, you know, if you think about it, in, in the long run, it might be a good investment. It might be a good investment. Because would you consider that like um, out of print albums and hip hop like like an artifact of hip hop because it's history? I mean, hell yeah, that was Pharaoh's first solo, you know, uh, album. So, um, and he had, you know, of course he had the Simon Says record on there. You know what I'm saying? Which was he had the Simon Says. I don't know if the Simon Says remix was on there with Busta and M.O.P. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, um, that record was just, was big. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and March to this day is like still ahead of his time. You know, that's that's one of my, my mentors. You know what I'm saying? I came in the game with the dude, so. Yes, sir. Or yeah, I mean, that, that record right there might be an investment. You know, I'm going to take that into consideration and think about that over the holidays. Definitely do. You know what I'm saying? Think about it because if it's, um, if it's, you might run into that just digging one day and, and it might, because some of, sometimes our records pop up in them, them $5 dollar bins. You know what I'm saying? Just, just because somebody done traded it in or, you know, you just got to look. You know what I'm saying? Without looking, and it'll just pop up in your face, and you might get it for five dollars, or you might get it for a buck. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you never. It, it happens like that sometimes. Did that ever happen to you when you're looking for like an old album? Uh, no doubt, I've, I've ran across um my records, you know, my cruise records, and um in in certain uh states and certain countries where it was cheap. But you'll see one. You you won't see two or three of them. You might see one. You know what I'm saying? If that like already opened and you know you know sometimes it's it's a fresh copy or you know I definitely run into CDs like that quite often. And I'll buy my own CDs sometimes. I mean shit. I, I've purchased uh, Great Adventures of Slick Rick quite a few times. I probably got like eight copies of that. That's a classic album. I don't blame you. So anytime I've seen a, anytime I see a Slick Rick record somewhere in a bin and it's cheap, I buy it. And it usually be sealed. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's a CD or it's a vinyl. Or if it's sealed, that's even a bigger plus too because that's more rarity. Definitely. Um, Definitely. So I understand that you're a very busy man. So I got two more questions for you, sir, and then I'll let you Mm -hmm. go. Um, one of my most favorite things about you is that 
you never change your stage name because that's your real name, but like right. you stayed with OC forever and a lot of artists changed their names and then like the thought always wondered like have you ever thought about like just changing your stage name because like uh that's the one thing like I've always liked about artists is just staying with the same name. Nah, I never thought about it. I mean, you said it. You 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 basically uh, asked the question and answered it in the same breath. Like, um, it's my real name. Um, why would I change it? If it if it why break something? Why fix something if it's not broken? You know what I'm saying? And I just felt like I never had a reason to change. Like, for me to change the dynamics of how I make music is one thing you know, and try different things musically, but to change my name and, and you know, com- confuse people, I, I just never had no sense of doing that. And not everybody can pull that off, you know what I'm saying? I think um, if you look at somebody like uh, maybe 2 chains, you know what I'm saying? Um, he was, uh, damn, what was his name? Teddy Boy. Titty boy, you know what I'm saying? It made sense for him. It made sense. He reinvented himself and, you know, he had success with it, but not everybody can pull that off. Yeah, I noticed a lot of artists started doing that after he started doing that. Right. And, and to me, he, he had a great reason to do it. You know what I'm saying? He was breaking away from the, the whole uh, ludicrous camp, you know what I'm saying? And, and you know, his group, you know what I mean? And he had uh, a fairly good success with his group, you know, with the Duffel Bad Boys record and stuff like that, but that made total sense for him to do that because, like I said, not too many people can reinvent themselves and have success. And, and you know, he went from uh, uh, an obscure hip-hop artist to a, a million-plus selling artist. You know, right before the paradigm shifted, he sold physical records, and it worked for him. You know what I'm saying? So I'm proud. I'm proud of him for doing that. Like I said, not too many people, and I respect him for it because not too many people can pull that off. Have uh, um, have any of these new people like Two Chains? Oh well, he's not really new, but have any of these new people who are popping right now like come up to him and be like, "Yo, OC, like I fucks with you." I mean, yo, it's it's so weird, man, and, and me and show, Showbiz are probably the, the two few who are considered to be not so social when we're out, but it's not it's not the case. I don't know. Maybe it's the face. I don't know. But people just don't really approach us, you know what I'm saying, our peers and stuff like that. So um, it's been so many artists that, I, that I've, I've respected and loved their music that has approached me and I'll be bugging out, you know what I'm saying? That they know my music because I definitely know theirs but it's always, it's always super weird to, to, to run into someone and they like, yo, I, I fucks with you heavy like, and even know songs and lyrics and stuff like that and I looked at them like, I look at them crazy like, wow, <laughs> not crazy in a bad way but just in the sense of damn like, you know my lyrics. You no, know, I guess I, I yeah, like, I did make an impact, you know what I'm saying? Because these cats know, and they sold a hell of more records than I did twice over, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that, it just shows me that people, you know, a lot of people are artists, too. I don't care how many records they sold. 
and they they do listen to other artists. They do listen to their peers. Yeah, because it's just numbers. Because like, if you gotta have a passion for it, because if you focus on the numbers, there's no passion for it. Yeah, I mean that 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 old thing that Jay Z said: "Men lie when the lie numbers don't." People people really, I think a lot of people don't understand the nature of him saying that. You know what I'm saying? But you know, um, numbers don't, for me at least, looking from from my perspective, don't determine who you are in this game. You know what I'm saying? It could take one record and that one record could carry you for 20, 30 years. In my case, something like Time's Up. But, you know, I tell people who I bump into in the supermarkets or on the street, like, you know, they're, they're my age for the most part and they ask me, am I still making records? And I just look at them like, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, I have 20 albums. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all see All this, fire. But, it's crazy, man. It's it's just it's a weird it's a weird thing, but you know I deal with it. It's cool. You know, it's good to see the strive still in you, sir. Because like a lot of people, they ain't hungry anymore. So I'm glad to see that you're still willing to you know want to put more music out and still make the impact that you already made today. Well, I love music, man. I love music from day one. It's in my blood. You know, my mom's was a singer. I had musicians in my family. This is really part of my DNA. And um, and I feel like it's no expiration date if you, if you really do something that you love and you into something that you love. So when I'm ready to stop, I'll stop. But at this point, you know what I'm saying? For me personally, I think I, I've gotten better over the time, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't sound like 1994. I didn't change my my style up per se too much, but, you know, I know how to fit my pocket into what's going on, and, and, you know, I have my lane, you know what I'm saying? So for me, it's just not about trying to keep up with the trends. I do music according to everyday life. That's, that's just how I make music. I think people, if people stuck to that, that uh, uh, that type of notion of making music, then you have no reason to be have writer's block. You have no reason to have um, uh, producer block. You know what I'm saying? Like if you if it's in your DNA, you should be able to do it at will. And that's that's where I'm at in my life at this point with music. It's very true, and and it shows, and it shows. Um, so thank you. Oh, no worries, sir. Um, so this is the last question I ask all of my guests. And it always seems like um, the people older than me give the best answers to this question. Um, do you have any words for somebody in a dark place trying to see the light? Do I have any words for what? For somebody in a dark place trying to see the light? Um, that's, that's, that's a... That's a, it's not a weird question, but that's that's crazy. Um, you can take your time. I understand. I always get I always get the reaction like like this. Uh, I know it's kind of off the off the radar too. Nah, nah. It's it's, it's a dope question. I mean, for me, man, I, I try to make. Here's the thing: I try to make music that's that's more relatable as a human being, right? Instead of 
fairy tale fantasy, cars, clothes, homes, shows, money, uh, big houses, all that bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Cool. That's what you do. That's what you want to do to each his own. But I think people can relate to if you're talking about something that's fairly going on in their lives, whether it's good or bad, you know, or, or just life in general. So my thing is I listen to music when I'm in a certain space. If I'm in a certain space, of not feeling good or whatever the case may be, being that I'm a human being first, that might put me in a better space listening to a music or a particular song might might get me out of that space. So, I mean, um, yeah, it makes sense, man, to, to for me to say um, music can get you out of a, a, a bad space you know what I mean? Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because sometimes when I'm in a like having a bad mood, I just throw on some music and just change my whole day. Yeah, because you're dealing with you know not to get on some deep shit, but when you when you music is like frequencies and you know uh, uh, algorithms and all kinds of shit when you when you dealing with music and it it, it can. If you, to me, if you listen to some, some heavy metal headbanger, ACDC type shit, that's the space you're going to be in after listening to that. If you listen to some uh, uh, Great Adventures of Slick Rick, you might be in a, in a giddy mode. Um, if you listen to some R&B, it might have you in a feel-good mode. Like, it depends on what you listen to. It, it can definitely affect on how you're feeling before and after, you know what I'm saying, of, of whatever space you was in. And um, for me, man, it's, it's just um, music can take people out of a bad space. I, I've had people tell me, you know, I just came back from, from Denver. I, I, I had a guy tell me, which is not the first time, it's, it's happened a lot over the years that they, they stopped them, they stopped from killing themselves from listening to my music. And that's just something I still can't wrap my mind around. But I understand as a human being, like, listening to music and I'm not in a good mood and it changes my mood. So, yeah, it, it, it definitely can bring you from a, a, a different place. You know what I'm saying? It's like what you said, it's therapeutic. Exactly. That that's what music is, man. That's why people go out to party. That's why people, um, you know, go to work with with music in their ears. Or some people listen to music before they go to sleep. I used to listen to the Quiet Storm, you know, slow jams when I was younger, just to go to sleep. It it it, it brought me down, you know, to a, 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 a I guess a meditative state for me to fall out, you know what I'm saying, eventually, but, um, yeah, that's, that's what music does, man, it's shit, you know what I'm saying? Yes, sir, very true, and I'm glad that you're a part of that legacy, too. Yeah, man, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan first, you know what I'm saying, like, I didn't, I didn't start off making music, so, I'm a fan first, so I have some understanding of what, what it is, and what it does, and, you know, being a fan first, 
always keeps me in that in that that frame of mind, even when I'm making music now. You know what I'm saying? From then till now, so I definitely understand the whole concept of of what music does for people. And with that being said, I think that's the perfect way to end this legendary interview. Do you have anything that you want to plug in before I let you go, Mister OC? Um. Nah, man, I just appreciate you getting at me, man. Um, I, I I definitely feel good doing the, having a conversation with you, and I definitely have to get back to Canada. Like, um, I think I haven't been out there since uh, Finesse did it, booked a, a digging show out there. I, I would say probably before '06 or something like that. Oh, so a while. And um, yeah, it's been a long time. So I'm I'm looking forward. To that and I'm just looking forward to um, people hearing this next project, this this third and last installment, Blood Moon. I mean, Showbiz is, is trying to knock out as we speak. You know, to complete the trilogy, the same moon, same sun, and new dawn, and just hopefully, you know, I'm I'm blessed and healthy to keep going in the next few years. And. Don't worry, sir. I know that the end of that trilogy is going to be fire. I hope so. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, man, you know, I, I, wanted, I want people to look at it as a, um, as a, as a, a monument to what I've been doing from day one. Like, you know, this guy never, you know, compromised what he, what he does, what he is. And, you know, that's what matters to me more than, than you know, than anything else making music like that. People hate it or love it. You know what I'm saying? Like he just never compromised who he is. And, you know, I can walk away from the game with my head up knowing people respect that. And I hope someone takes that and runs with that advice because you have a very unique story. But I don't want to... Thank you. I don't want to hold you up, Mr. OC. So, I, like, I would like to say... Thank you, because you just appeared on what might be the biggest hip-hop podcast in the making. Oh, wow. That's, that's what's up, man. I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you made me a part of it. No worries. I appreciate it. And then I'm always very loyal to my guests. So best believe I'll be looking for any tour you'll be doing, and I'll be buying your newest album when you drop it, sir. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Appreciate you. With that being said, from the desk of Lowe.